This is episode number 155 with Dr. Jason Selk. Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. At each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 Podcast. As always, this is your host, Jared Warren, author, coach, advisor, and dedicated to helping you reach your maximum performance each day. Guys, I am super fired up this morning and I can't tell you exactly why. I can't put my finger on it other than the fact that I'm just ready to make action happen this week. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. For those of you guys who know Dr. Selk's work, especially one of my all-time favorite books, which is Executive Toughness you know that he is all about action and working smarter and not harder and helping us to accomplish more each day. Before we dive into this awesome episode, I'd like to remind you guys again that if you want 20% off of the Human Charger, which is the earbud light device that sends a super bright blue-infused white light into your ear canals onto the photoreceptor proteins of your brain to help you get woken up each day without caffeine, without jitters, without pounding harmful energy drinks. Guys, this really is like a sun in your pocket without the harmful effects of bright white light or blue light or caffeine, as I mentioned. Head on over to success101podcast.com forward slash human charger. When you get to the checkout section of the website, enter success101, and I've teamed up with Valky to give Success 101 podcast listeners 20% off of their purchase of the human charger. I've used this since the fall of last year, and what I thought might be a placebo effect or hocus pocus made me a huge fan. It works, guys. I used mine driving in just this morning whenever I was coming in about 4.30, 5 a.m., wasn't feeling super energetic, and as you guys can hopefully tell right now, I'm ready to rock and roll. Also, I've had a lot of feedback about coaching lately since I offered my one-on-one consultation phone call. This is a 20-minute phone call to decide if it makes sense for us to visit together further about goal planning and coaching for this year. If you guys would like to connect with me on that, head over to success101podcast.com forward slash contact, fill out the form, and somebody on my team will reach out to you to get us connected, and I look forward to hearing from you guys. Now, on to our awesome show today, as I mentioned with Dr. Jason Selk. For baseball fans out there, you guys might know that Jason Selk was the director of mental training for the St. Louis Cardinals, where he helped the team win their first World Series in over 20 years. And in 2011, he assisted the Cardinals in the historic feat of winning their second World Championship in a six-year period. Dr. Selk is a regular contributor to Forbes, Inc. Magazine, Success Magazine, Shape, and Self He's also been featured on ABC, CBS, ESPN, and NBC Radio and Television, and has been featured in USA Today, CNBC, and several times in Men's Health. Dr. Selk's book, Executive Toughness, as I mentioned, is a best-selling business book, and his first book, 10-Minute Toughness, 
is on pace to be one of the best-selling sports psychology books of all time. Yes, you heard that right, and it is an awesome book. I can vouch for that myself. Dr. Selk's latest book, Organized Tomorrow Today, has been predicted by USA Today as one of the top 10 business books of the year and is now in bookstores across the country, so grab your copy. As you will hear today from his work, Dr. Selk is considered to be one of the premier performance coaches in the United States and helps numerous well-known professional and Olympic athletes, as well as Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 executives and organizations to develop mental toughness that is necessary for high levels of success. As you guys know, I get excited for all podcast episodes, but when it comes to thinking smarter and not harder and ways that we can use our brain and psychology to push us to higher levels of peak performance, well, you know I'm all about that. So without any further delay, let's jump right into my conversation with Dr. Jason Selk. Jason Selk, welcome to the Success 101 podcast. How are things going this morning, buddy? Jared, things are going really well. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you here, and I've been a fan of yours for a long, long time because the work that you have done, and we'll dive into your books here as as time goes on in the show, but 10-Minute Toughness, Executive Toughness, and How to Organize Tomorrow Today, I'm a big, big fan of those. You take a big issue, which to me is negative self-thought or self-sabotage, all the descriptors that we could put on how we get in our own way, and you break it down in ways, really to me, unlike any of the other books that I've read on just mental management, on how we can be better tomorrow at thinking differently and have, you know, creating new pathways in our mind towards success. And you do it in a way that's very simple and easy to understand. And so first of all, I would say I really appreciate your work because you've helped so many out there just in an ease standpoint, for lack of better words, just to get them things locked into their mind each day. But also just the practicality of just knowing that we can be better and doing that at a high level is not an easy to do. So thank you so much for making it easy. I'd love for you to start back as far back as you want to go and tell us just your roots and your own mindset as far as what took you down the path that you're on today. And then we'll dive into some of your mental strategies and your books as well, just to help our listeners out there take away some tangible thoughts on uh, how they can be better. Yeah, so I first got into sports psychology. I was a senior in high school and I was playing football and really enjoying the game and hoping to play at the next level and having some success. And unfortunately, the first game of my senior year, I blew my knee out. In fact, it was the first quarter of the first game. It was really difficult for me to deal with the loss of football that year and turned out to be loss of football, period. So I was in physical therapy and there was a gal who was spending time with me on a, you know, every couple of days doing STEM and rehab after surgery. And I thought after that, when I went to college, that it was physical therapy that I wanted to get into. In fact, I started my freshman year at the University of Missouri as a physical therapy major, and I quickly realized it wasn't the physical rehab that she most helped me with. She was the type of person, she would sit there with me as I was going through the rehab, and she would kind of talk me through some of the emotional difficulties. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was the talk therapy that I was really drawn to. And so second semester freshman year, I realized that and switched paths to sports psychology. And I've been one of those lucky people where right when I switched, I knew it was the right fit for me. And I just kind of took it all the way and have had a lot of success working and helping people work through injuries. But I think also even probably more so just helping people get control of their thoughts and perform at a higher level on a daily basis. 
And so tell us, I mean, I would think someone in your position would just naturally have to be that type of positive person. You've seen them out there. I've seen them out there. And maybe you're one of those. We'll dive into it here. But there's just people in my life that no matter what is going on, and I I don't think it's fake, but no matter what is going on, they are just super positive. And, you know, part of me is like, okay, that can't last forever. You have to come back to reality at some point. And I know just from your work, you're a big fan of saying, look, the world is tough. You know, there's a lot of really tough things going on around us, but how do we work even harder to get through it? But what was your mindset like back then when you didn't even know that you were going to be going into the mental management world or the mental strategy world? Were you that type of person or is that something you've learned along the way that further fueled those passions for you? I think I probably have a little bit of a predisposition. I've always been one of those people with uh, probably a little too much energy. I wake up feeling good generally on most days. And as far back as I can remember, that's how it's been. However, there's no doubt that I was like, normal people that your thoughts, it's really easy for your thoughts to get away from you. And truth of the matter is life is tough. I mean, even though I've kind of grown up a a privileged life, my parents are still married and very strong family and successful parents. Even though I've had a privileged life, look, we all have problems. There's no doubt about it. And so I think what was really helpful for me was learning that it's normal to focus on the negative. But it's quite possible with training that you can reshape your thinking. You can choose or control the thoughts you have. Let me real quick, Jared, I think it'd probably be good for me to take just two or three minutes and walk people through how it works in the normal mind. Are you okay with that? Oh, absolutely. Go as deep as you want to here. Okay, so this is what I call the cycle of mental weakness. And unfortunately, this is totally normal. All right, and there are three points in this cycle. The first point is something called problem-centric thought. It's the biological tendency that every human being has to focus on the negative. And in layman's terms, our brains are built in a way to be negative. I'll give you an example. The most valuable resource known to our species is oxygen. It's more valuable than all the cash, all the goods, all the you name it. Without it, we die the fastest. But when is the last time you, Jared, or anyone listening has thought to themselves, wow, this is great. (laughs) I have an abundance of the most valuable resource known to my species. You know, again, I think it's quite normal. We we all know people just don't think that way. Now, compare that with when is the last time you thought to yourself, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough love. I don't have enough respect. I don't have enough. You fill in the blank. You see? Sure. That's totally normal to think that way. That's PCT, that biological tendency. All right, so there's your first point in this cycle. And think about this cycle kind of like a circle or a sphere. So there's your first point. Now, moving clockwise to your second point, which is something called expectancy theory. Now, expectancy theory is really the root or the foundation of all psychology. I think everything in psychology stems from expectancy theory. And here's your definition of expectancy theory. That which you focus on expands. So whatever you think about, you will grow. All right, now let me explain that real quick. Human beings, we are made up of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And we know, that's what science tells us, that the thoughts a person has controls the way we feel and the way we behave. So it all starts with our thoughts. And if our Our thoughts are focused on something by the mere fact that that will then 
influence significantly the way we feel and behave, whatever we choose to focus on is going to grow. Right now, if you think about the third point in this cycle of mental weakness, which is self-confidence. Self-confidence is the single most impactful variable, the number one predictor of future success in all of sport and performance psychology. So if you have a belief in yourself, if you're feeling good about your chances, that's the number one predictor that you're going to go out and perform well. You know, and again, it's not false confidence. Typically, people who have true confidence is because they're prepared. But right. if you look at how that cycle works together, remember, it's totally normal to focus on the negative. Whatever you focus on, you're going to create more of. So by doing what's normal and focusing on the negative, you create more negative in your life. The more negative a person has in their life, the harder it is for them to have high self-confidence. So they're going to have low self-confidence. The lower the self-confidence, the harder it will be then to focus on anything but the negative, which again, you kind of see how this thing cycles. And it's a what you call a very negative cycle in that it creates more of itself. All right now, one of the things we know is we can change that cycle with training. And this is what I was talking about, that whether you're predisposed to have kind of a negative slant or a positive slant, it doesn't matter. One thing we know is if we can learn to get control of our thoughts, we know with the proper training, people can. It's one of those things that even though it's hardwired, this is one of those things that, that can be changed. We can actually change the hardwiring. It's called neuroplasticity. All right. So if you look at this new cycle, the cycle of mental toughness, this is what we're trying to get people into. You have three points again, and two of the three points are the same. The only thing that changes is that first point, the initiation point. Instead of problem-centric thinking, we want to change that to something that I call RSF, the relentless solution-focused thinking. Okay? And, and then again, if, if in the initiation point, if we can control our thoughts to, even in the face of adversity, even when we're experiencing difficulty, even when there's a problem right in front of us, if we can instead change our thoughts to, okay, what's going well in my life and what can I do about this problem? We can just learn to make that little shift. You have RSF and then think about now point number two, expectancy theory, whatever you focus on expands. And then again, the third point of self-confidence. So if, if I'm training myself, if I'm choosing to focus on things that are going well in my life and when I have problems, what I can do about it at RSF, I'm going to create more positive, more solutions in my life. The more solutions I have, the greater my self-confidence, the greater my self-confidence, the better I'll perform. The better I perform, the easier it will be to focus on the good. The more I focus on the good, the more good I create. So again, that's another self-reinforcing cycle. That's what you call the positive cycle, the cycle of mental toughness. And that, Jared, right there, I think people have to have an understanding, especially people like you in a leadership position. That's what's going on in your head. And that's what's going on in the head of everyone you're leading. You must teach them how to change the thinking from PCT to RSF. Yeah. And I know a lot of this from going through your books and hearing your talks is normal to you. I mean, this is what you teach people on. This is what you train on. I think for the average person waking up out there each day, you know, even if they hear that breakdown, which you, I mean, you did a great job of explaining that, of course, because you own it, you believe in it, you know it. And so therefore you're going to bring that confidence whenever you're describing it. And you know that it's real for your average person out there, though. You know, I mean, just like you said, it's perfectly normal to focus on the negative 
And I want to take a step back here in just a second and ask you why that is the case and why you believe that in, in your world. I don't hear a lot of people in your position saying that, but I can tell that you believe it. And I think that's in some ways comforting for us, because I think a lot of people out there don't want to focus on the negative being a real thing. And so it just kind of lends us to believe that either something's wrong with us or they're just so far above us in their mental thought, we can't catch up to it, right? But why do you feel like most people out there don't believe they can change their thoughts? They just have such a negative disposition to believing that this path they're on in their brain is where they're going to stay, or maybe it's just mumbo-jumbo believing you can change your thoughts in that way. Why do you feel like it is normal for us to focus on the negative, and so many people find it hard out there to really believe that they can change that in relatively a short amount of time once they start really focusing and training on it? Yeah, so great questions. And first thing, how do I know that it's normal? Well, it's, it's, I didn't come up with it. It's science. I mean, you really can't make an intelligent argument against this. We know science of the brain, science of psychology, we know that it is completely normal. It's biologically built into all of us. And I don't know why, however we were built, I don't know why it was built this way. Whoever was the engineer building it, I have no idea why. Now, a lot of people theorize that it had to do with us surviving, that if we weren't focused on the negative on a regular basis, when the bear or the tiger came into our cave, we would be a whole lot easier prey. Now, it's just a theory. Nobody, I don't think, actually knows why, but we do know that biologically we're built to focus on the negative. Right now, why is it that people don't make the change? I think two reasons. Number one, most people, believe it or not, don't sit and think about are they in control of their thoughts? Most people are really just going with whatever thoughts they're having. Yeah, held captive. That's exactly right. So I don't think people, to be honest with you, have been educated on the fact that we can choose. We have some control over the thoughts we have. And then the second thing, I don't think people know what to do about it. Because remember, this isn't, you can't listen to this podcast. You can't come listen to me, do a keynote speech or read one of my books and think now that just you have been educated on this, that you can actually make the change. Remember, it's biological. And to actually change it, requires training, literally training. Just like it's totally biological to have our muscles be weak. And the one thing we know biologically, we can change that. If I go to the gym and I you know, do my bicep exercises every couple of days, I know that biologically my muscle will respond and get stronger. It will become abnormal. It will become strong. Same thing is true for our brain. So you can't sit in your armchair and think, I want to have a strong bicep. And then magically a strong bicep occurs. You have to get up, go to the gym, do the exercises. The same is true for the mind, that you can't just pep talk yourself into no longer having your focus remain on the negative thinking. You have to actually train your brain so that when you identify, okay, I'm focused on the negative, here's what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to get my mind over the solution. See, it's completely abnormal and requires training, Jared. That's the key. And I think that's the piece that Again, if you do have an awareness that you can do this, a lot of people are lazy or overwhelmed, whatever it might be, and they don't do the work necessary to create the actual strength that will cause the control of the thoughts. Sure. And I think it's for me just hearing you say that, I think for a lot of people, it would be that you can't physically see your brain, the elasticity of your brain changing in these neural pathways that we're reshaping and recarving in our mind that have been set for so long. You can't physically see that happening. And I think if you go to the gym and you train your bicep or you, you know, you do any other exercises, you can physically see, even after a couple of sessions, 
you can see a change. Undoubtedly. But, but here's the great thing. See, right there, we even took a negative slant on what we're talking about. And I'm going to tell you, here's the great thing about the mind that, yeah, even though you can't see it getting stronger, it requires so much less time and energy to develop the toughness, the strength mentally. See, I have to go to the gym and you know, I don't know how long it takes to do three sets of 10 bicep curls, but I can guarantee you it takes longer to do that than it does for me to have the training in place to make this switch from PCT to RSF. Wow. That's very encouraging, you know, to, to hear that. And, and I think the reason people aren't working on it is, like you said, they're not training it. They don't know what to do with it. And maybe they don't even see the results of it happening. I mean, things can change in our brain underlying under the surface. And sometimes people notice that we're different or that we're doing things a little differently but before we even notice it. And I'm sure you found that in your work as well. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you more personally than anything else, you know, I'm one of these people that I'm certainly not going to teach the people I work with or push the people or coach the people I work with on something that I don't know 100% to be true. So not only did I learn about this in graduate school and you know, understanding how the brain works, but I'm an experiment on myself. I mean, I certainly wouldn't be pushing you or anyone else that I know or work with to do this stuff if I don't know for certain that it works. And, you know, again, you asked, have I always been this way? I think I've always been somewhat optimistic. However, I've never been in a position where I am and have been for the last 15, 20 years. I mean, I experience very little stress in my life. I mean, if somebody said, how much stress do you experience on a, on a one to 10 scale? I'd probably say a two. You know, and I run a very successful company. I travel all the time. I work 50, 60 hours a week. I've got three kids and a wife. I mean, I've got the normal situation pains that everybody else does, but I just, I don't have much stress. And I'm a perfect example. Life just feels so much easier in terms of I am able to create success so much easier, even when it's I'm having a fight with my wife or argument with my kids or something's not going well at work. It just seems like problems are just little mosquito bites that, you know, I've, I've trained myself and worked on this so long that no matter what life throws at me, it seems that I'm just going to keep pushing through it. And that's a pretty good way to go, you know, not, not just to have the low stress, but also the higher, much higher level of success. So I know that it works. I know it can be done because although I can't open my head up and show you what my brain used to look like and what it does now, I can tell you firsthand, hey, I know that this works. I'll never go back to the PCT mentality. And I, <laughs> I've got thousands of people I've worked with that would tell you the same thing at this point. So I know it works with me and I know it works with other people. You just have to do the work itself. Oh, sure. And it's life changing. And, and for those of us that have had a, a change and a turnaround, and many of my listeners know that that's kind of my backstory is just, you know, changing in that area of self-thought and getting out of the self-sabotage and, you know, negative thinking. And though I haven't mastered it, you know, I think it's a lifelong journey that you're always working on this. Boy, am I a different person today by 180 degrees mentally than what I was before. And you're right. Once you get there, the thought of even going back into that again is just nauseating. I mean, you yeah. don't even want to, you don't even want to go there at all. And it's, it's really interesting to me too, that fMRI machines and the study of just the brain up until, you know, several years ago, a handful of years ago, researchers still thought that your brain, you know, we would just have this brain shrink over time and we would lose gray and white matter. And it wasn't until one of these fMRI machines started really kicking out these images that really showed that like, no, you can actually get older and though everything around you is deteriorating in your body, uh, your brain can actually be grown. It's elastic and it just takes training. You hit the nail on the head a few minutes ago with training, but we have to work at it. And some of the friends that I have that have uh, 
parents that are really old but still super sharp, one of the big characteristics about them is that all three of them that I'm thinking about right now, they read multiple books every single day and they're training their brain just as you're talking about training to get out of these different brain processes that we're talking about. So I just think that's fascinating to me and the way the brain works has always just intrigued me so, so much. And somebody that knows about process, you keep mentioning processes, is John Wooden. I know you're a big fan of John Wooden, so am I. And when I first saw your book, Executive Toughness, I know the forward was written by Andrew Hill. And at first I thought that that was the Andrew Hill that created True Brain. I don't know if you're familiar with True Brain. It's a nootropic out in California that just helps your brain, uh, you know, work and, and build and grow and process faster. Dr. Andrew Hill created that out there. And then I realized that it's actually the Andy Hill that uh, wrote Be Quick But Don't Hurry, which is another one of my favorite books. And he wrote that with John Wooden. And I know you're a big fan of Wooden. I heard a story about you at one point the first time you had a chance to meet him. Would you mind sharing that story with us? And then we'll dive into some some more process stuff. Yeah, so actually it was Andy Hill uh, and another is a very good friend of mine, Tom Bartow. Andy played for Coach Wooden at UCLA. Andy then went on and became president of CBS. He's a very, very successful guy. I've uh, had the great opportunity to become, pardon me, friends with Tom and Andy. And I was down in California and Tom was doing a workshop and Andy and I were there just kind of getting to know each other and watching Tom and and then afterwards, the two of them uh, played a little joke on me, and they surprised me by taking me to see Coach Wooden. And they wow. walked me into Coach Wooden's condo, and uh, we spent about five minutes, and then they left. And they left me with Coach Wooden by myself for about, well, I don't know, hour and a half, couple hours. And you know, I had a great opportunity to kind of walk around his condo and look at all the different books he was reading and all the different medals that he'd been presented and just really kind of pick his brain and talk to him about how much of an influence he had on me. And I'll never forget, I was sitting there, I was on the couch and he's on his easy chair and he's got his light blue cardigan on and uh, <laughs> as dapper as you can get. And, <laughs> right. You know, and he, he's not one of these guys that's going to make it easy on you. So he wasn't afraid to just sit there in silence and I thought to myself, okay, you know, this person has really, really made an impact on my life, and I probably should share with him. So I turned to him, and I really kind of poured it out, you know, really told him how much of an impact. I was kind of wild when I was younger and a little bit of a troublemaker and underachieved on my potential and the name of having fun. And reading his books really kind of taught me that you're going to get what you give. And if, if I'm not going to do the work, I really don't deserve any results. So I should never expect them. And that really caught my attention. And anyway, I told him how much of an impact on, that he had had on my life. And, and I'll never forget his response. He, he sat there for a moment and he looked at me and he says, it means a tremendous amount to know my work has had such an impact on you. And I just thought, you know, this is John Wooden, greatest coach of all time. You can maybe make an argument, person who knows more about winning than anyone on the planet. And he was so humble in the way he said it that um, I just thought, geez, Louise, everything I've read. Wow, what, what an opportunity for you. Oh, it was just, it was multiplied by the fact that he was just so genuine and so real. And it just really hit the mark that that is that right there for me was kind of the high watermark of what I was trying to achieve. And you know, not to ever say that I'd have that much of an impact that Coach Wooden has had on the world, but 
just that's my approach. I really want to be that genuine and try and work that hard to help other people as well as, you know, make myself better. So yeah, it was uh, quite an experience. And Andy Hill uh, and Tom Bartow are the reason for it. So I'll forever be indebted to those two. Yeah, it's a great book that they wrote together. It's one of my favorites out there. And, um, you know, you also shared in that story, I believe, that I had heard a while back where Wooden was talking about his guys cutting straight lines. And I'll take a step back before you go into that as far as if you want to explain a little bit about what he was talking about there. I heard a story on Wooden at one point, and I can't even remember where this came from, but he comes in. I mentioned it recently on one of my podcasts, but he came in. And, you know, it's he hadn't really his stride of fame as we know him today, right? Winning all the championships and just the influence that he's had on so many people. But he walked in and people heard how tough he is and how stern he is and how he wants to win and, you know, this and that. And they don't have any idea what he's going to do and what he's going to run them through and all this. And he comes in and he has all the guys put on their socks. You may have heard this story. He has the guys put on their socks and he walks around and he checks them and he says, all right, boys, come back again tomorrow and we'll get after it. <laughs> They're like, what's going on? It's like, well, if you can't put your socks on correctly, we've got a lot of work ahead of us here, you know. And the whole idea there was just saying we've got to start with the little things. And I know he's huge, one of the best on fundamentals. It just speaks to his legacy, as I mentioned, just putting on your socks the right way. If we can't get that right, there's going to be a lot of other things that we can't get right. But in that story I heard with you as he's talking about cutting straight lines and focusing on being faster than the other guys. And that's part of, you know, fundamentals, just the little things, right, that other people sometimes don't think about. Tell us about that reference that he made and the impression that that had on you. Yeah. So let me just real quick comment on the socks. He did that first practice every single year. The first practice four times of putting his, wasn't just his socks, it was then the shoes, putting the socks on correctly and then putting the shoes on and lacing them correctly. And there are a couple of reasons why that was so important. Number one, just what you talked about, you know, the attention to detail, but even from a practical stance, and I just learned one of these pieces, uh, maybe a week or two ago, I was watching a rare video of Coach Wooden and he talked about it. It's the first time I'd, I'd actually heard him say it, but he wanted to teach the players how to put the socks on and the shoes on so that they wouldn't get blisters. So he, what he was really teaching them was how to protect their feet, knowing how important you know, it was for the guys to stay healthy and even a little blister can impact the team. And the other thing, and this is the part I just learned, he was really big on running extremely efficient practices. He didn't run practice nearly as long as some of his peers, but the intensity in those practices were high, high, high intensity. And it's another thing, he never worked on conditioning. So he never at the end of practice ran them. The practices themselves were so efficient that the guys were always running. That was the conditioning. But he said that uh, one of the reasons he worked so hard to make sure his players knew how to put their socks and shoes on correctly was he didn't want to take time in a practice for even one player to have to stop and retie his shoes. And again, you just look at time maximization right there, the, the importance of efficiencies so big for a guy like John Wooden. And you see that as a pattern with those very successful people. They're just extremely efficient and thinking things through at that higher level. So I thought that that was really interesting to find out that a lot of it too was he didn't want to have to stop, interrupt the routine of, or the flow of practice. So back to the idea of uh, running the cuts in straight lines. This is my good friend, Tom Bartow told me this. Now, Tom and Coach Wooden, up until the day Coach Wooden passed away, Tom and Coach Wooden 
were the best of friends. It was kind of like a father-son relationship. And Tom was a former basketball coach as well. And he would go visit Coach Wooden every month or so. And he always made it a goal that when he'd go see Coach Wooden, he wanted to have one really good question for him so he could learn something from the master. And this was the question. He wanted to ask Coach Wooden that during the game, if, if he was sitting on the bench next to Coach Wooden during the game, while the game's being played, what is it that Coach Wooden is most focused on? There's a coach, you know, during a game, if I could get inside your head, what's the number one thing you're focused on while the guys are out there playing? He looked at Tom said, Tom, I'm watching to see if my guys are making their cuts in straight lines or if they're running in banana pattern. And Tom looks at coach and says, coach, you're telling me greatest coach of all time. You're not looking at the scoreboard. You're not thinking about the score. You're not thinking about winning or losing. You're looking at the guys and seeing if they're cutting them in straight lines. He said, yeah, Tom, that's right. I'm looking to see if they're cutting them in straight lines. Tom said, coach, isn't the winning important? Isn't it enough to be looking at scoreboard? He said, Tom, let's be clear. Winning is important. However, I know if my guys are making their cuts in straight lines instead of bat banana patterns, that my guys are going to be just a little bit faster than the opponent. And I know that from a process standpoint, if my guys are a little bit faster than the opponent, the winning will take care of itself. Okay, and it's a terrific story about the emphasis of process. And again, anybody who knows much about Coach Wooden knows that he became the most successful coach of all time because of this as his central tenet, meaning this is what he put more effort and emphasis into than any other thing that he taught was making sure that he himself, his coaching staff, and his players had internalized that process mentality. All right, so let me give you and the listeners just a little background. You have really three types of goals. I'm only going to talk about two right now. You have product goals, which are the results. That would be winning or scoring. And then you have process goals, which are what do you do to best position yourself to cause the result or product goal? And again, and this is really a science of the brain. I don't know if Coach was uh, just really understood this stuff at a higher level or if he understood the science of it, but the science on it's very clear. It's, it makes perfect sense once you understand how the brain works. Your brain can only fully focus on one thing at a time. So if my mind is focused on scoring or winning, I cannot be in the same moment focused on what I need to do to cause or to control the winning or the scoring. And that's where when you look at Coach Wooden and his focus on straight lines instead of banana patterns, it's clearly him displaying the process mentality. And one thing I, I asked Andy Hill about this, I called him up one afternoon. I said, you know, Andy, I've heard this now so many times. I heard that Coach Wooden never used the word winning. He never talked to you guys about winning. Come on, there's no way in four years Greatest coach of all time didn't talk about winning or losing. And he said to me, he said, you know, this guy totally embodied mental toughness. He wow. never spoke of it once. Not once. I've now, never heard that. He was relentless about process. He never stopped talking about process. But he never, ever allowed, at least for us to see, that his mind was focused on results. It was always about preparation 
effort and practice. And another thing, when Coach Wooden retired from basketball, somebody asked him what was the number one thing he missed the most. Coach Wooden's response shocked everyone. He said, what I miss most is the preparation, is the practice, is the process. He was more focused on the preparation than all that winning he did. Just, just an amazing, amazing ability to control the thoughts, to focus on the things that control the results, to control the thoughts, to focus on the right stuff. Wow, that's awesome. That is, I mean, it speaks to his, you know, I go back again to that phrase, speaks to his legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the book, uh, John Maxwell, What Successful People Think. And, you know, he says in that book, there's a quote that he uses where he says that he's had 40 years of leadership and he's watched, you know, tons of people from different walks of life come together. The one thing that sets successful people apart is the way they think. And so it shocks people whenever he gives an answer like that, because they're not thinking that way. They're thinking he's going to say something that has to do with the outcome or with the product. And he's all about the process. So one of the reasons I was excited about getting you on here is I talked to my guys here, the financial advisors that I'm coaching and even some of my private coaching clients and people that I'm dealing with, even my financial planning clients many times about the process. And the only reason I know that is because it's been drilled into me by guys like you and Wooden and other people, successful people think differently and they think about the process. And you know our business pretty well in the financial planning business. You know that you can work your tail off for days on end and really not see a lot of product results happening. But then all of a sudden, boom, because of those efforts and those compounding efforts, there's a win. And you get to kind of tuck that away and move on. And you may have several more days of just dealing with process. What would you give my listeners here is just a bit of advice that you've either spoke about or written on, or you just know to be inherently true about that process when you're grinding and grinding and going through, and it seems like nothing's really working, but yet underlying, you know, under the surface, there are results that are happening or that are coming your way. How would you keep us mentally engaged for people that are in more of a process type business versus focusing on an outcome every day and then leaving with your head kind of held low going, man, I don't, I don't really know what I did today. I worked really, really hard, but I did not see an outcome from that. What would you say to keep us engaged and keep us hopeful about the results that we're putting in each day? Yeah. So that's the million dollar question. And your business, you're right. It's tough. It's a grind. Yep. So, so what you have to be able to do, and this is what in baseball I help the players with is really identify what a quality at bat is. What's the process? What's the equivalent of your straight line cuts. And if I were going to give people advice, you know, this is where I really start when I work with people is you must identify what your process is. Okay. So here's how you do that. You have to think to yourself, what are my most important, my two or three, and you don't get more than three. You have to respect channel capacity on this, that what are my most important two or three activities daily that will cause the result? And then you must learn to evaluate yourself only on, am I doing those two or three things? All right, now let me give you an example. And these would be examples of very common process goals. One would be the training, it's called a success log, doing the training to get your mind from PCT to RSF. And it's just, I'm just going to give you two questions. I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible today. Just answer two questions on a daily basis. It's going to take you a minute and a half to complete. Question number one, what did I do well today? And you don't have to cure cancer for it to qualify as a done well. Anything that (laughs) from personal or professional health, even by an inch, counts. I don't care if it's, you know, like I filled out my success log just before getting on the call with you today. 
one of my answers was last night I only drank two beers. You know, again, I wanted to have another beer, four beers, maybe, you know, but I, I forced myself to only have two yesterday. Another thing, getting cardiovascular exercise, even though I do that basically every day, I'm still going to give myself credit for it. Anything that promotes personal or professional health, even by an inch counts. Remember, you're training your brain to focus on the positive, on the good stuff. And then the second question, what's one thing I want to improve? Doesn't say what's the one thing I'm screwing up on. It says what's the one thing I want to improve. And it doesn't say what's the one thing I want to perfect. Just improve. You improve even an inch a day and you're going to be so far ahead of your peers. So many people are caught up in perfection. They don't make any improvements whatsoever. So one process goal might be just answering those two questions on a daily basis. Another one, certainly, you know, Al Granham taught you guys very, very well. I think Granham and Wooden would have been really close friends had they known each other. They, they both right. had that process mentality. It would have to be your contacts. Now, whether you're making 40 dials a day, 20 dials a day, that, that's your call. But I'd be making the contacts and I'd be following a certain process. Now, one thing I teach is making sure that you're training your players. You know, so the people you're, you as a financial rep, when you're calling your clients, you're coaching them to be mentally tough when it comes to their financial situation. And again, you got to understand they're going to have PCT. So I'd tell you, when you get in touch with one of your current clients, you should be giving them two compliments. Tell them what they're doing well. Teach them one thing that would cause them to be a better investor or better with their insurance or better financially. And then coach them on one step of action that will force them to get better. So you're actually coaching them into RSF, getting their mind focused on what they're doing well and what their solutions are instead of the normal garbage of, I'm not doing very well and I can't do anything about it. So those would be two examples of process goals. Another process goal would be, I think, you know, again, the science on this is pretty strong. The single healthiest thing any human being can do is cardiovascular exercise. It gives you more energy. It makes you smarter, keeps you healthy longer. I'd say 30 minutes cardiovascular exercise would be another great process goal. But again, the key is you have to identify your process and then on a daily basis, when you're leaving the office, instead of saying, how much did I make today or how much did I not make today? You just simply ask one to 10, how did I do on my first process goal, on my second process goal, on my third process goal? Anytime you're hitting a nine or better, you've won. Doesn't matter how much you've made or didn't make, you've won the process. And if you keep nailing that process, you're going to have your results, just like Coach Wooden, the results will take care of themselves if you choose wisely what your process goals should be. So, Jason, thanks so much for your time. I know you're incredibly busy, and so our listeners, you know, we just thank you so much for uh, the knowledge that you're you're giving us here about process and all of the things that we can take away. And there's only so much time in a podcast, and I know we have to hold this to a hard stop here, but I'm going to ask you a very deep question, and I know you've got, you know, less than a minute here probably to answer it, but I'm really big and becoming even bigger this year on just essentialism and just being more of a minimalist as far as getting things out of my face and getting things away from my brain and just being able to juggle more, for lack of better words, in an easier way, if, if that makes sense. So slowing down really to be able to speed up a little bit. And I know that uh, Stephen Covey, you and I are both fans of Stephen Covey, and uh, he's got a quote that says, the noise of the urgent creates the illusion of importance. So within about a minute here, as I ask you to you know do this impossible task almost, Tell us why we get so attracted to the noise in our life and we take too much on our plate and what we can start doing today to start cutting some of that out of our minds to where we can do a lot more 
by working with less in front of our faces every day? Yeah, and a lot of that boils down to channel capacity. Channel capacity is essentially the brain's bandwidth. And unfortunately, we want to believe that our brains can handle so much more than they actually can. Magic numbers with channel capacity are three and one. So think of it, our minds, we can be great. We can focus on being great in working memory, three things at a time. So like a juggler, if I'm juggling three balls and you throw me a fourth ball, I'm going to probably drop most of the balls. And that's what happens. So I challenge you to think about it this way. Most people are trying to be great at so many things that they're compromising their ability to be great at the most important thing. You must identify what are the most important things in your life. And again, three is the maximum. Now, I said three and one when it comes to channel capacity. One is any improvement. Three, I can manage and I can keep those in working memory. But if I'm trying to improve anything, trying to improve anything more than one at a time is a total recipe for disaster. Think about your brain like a photo album. The photo album you have on your phone. That the phones are set up in a way if you take a photo it goes into the photo album. But when the photo album becomes full, you go to take the photo, the photo album sends a message to you saying photos, you know, we're full. You have to delete something. The problem with our brain is we're full already. People are operating at capacity already, especially with uh, busy and overloaded as people have become. But the deal is every time you bring something new in, you're now deleting one of the photos that you have, but you don't get to choose what photo is being deleted. So you must, and I really like what you're thinking, you must learn to prioritize and insulate yourself from all this new information because remember, you put new information in, unfortunately, things are being deleted. So just like with your phone, if it was set up that way, I know people would be much more judicious with their photos, the taking of their photos, if they knew one was being deleted just at will. And that's how you have to start looking at the stuff in your brain, which those process goals are really a helpful way to help people Keep in mind what's most important and get your most important, your process goals done daily. Do the best you can with the rest of the time you have and you'll like the results. Most people, yeah, most people are trying to do everything and that means they're not doing consistently very well on their process goals are the most important. Well, that is so great. If nothing else from our message today, process just rings through loud and clear. So thank you so much for your time here today. And where can we find more about you from your website, your books? How can I steer more traffic your way so that more and more people can find out about your knowledge that you're imparting here today with us? That's very nice of you to ask. The best way would be jasonselk.com. All the books are, they're all three bestsellers. So you can get those on Amazon anywhere, but you can also get information on the books on the website and other products we might have or classes we might have coming up. So That is great. And I appreciate your work. I'll link everything up in show notes. We certainly appreciate your time and uh, wish you continued success in all of your efforts and be looking for more and more things from you out there. Thanks so much. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed that message from Dr. Selk as much as I did. And I would encourage you to go out and grab one of his books, Executive Toughness, 10-Minute Toughness, or his newest book, Organize Tomorrow, today. If you would like to connect directly with me, the best way to do that is by email. You can reach our team at info at success101podcast.com, or you can catch me in the world of social media on the Facebook Success 101 Podcast page and on Instagram under the name at success101podcast. I hope you guys go out and absolutely crush this week as you continue to plow through 2017 in order to reach your maximum potential and accomplish everything you desire for this year. I'll catch you guys on the next episode of the Success 101 podcast. Until then.